Chapter twenty six of Pushing to the Front by Horizon Sweat Marden. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Luke Sartor. Chapter twenty six Success Under Difficulties. Victories that are easy are cheap. Those only are worth having which come as the result of hard fighting. Beecher. Little minds are tamed and subdued by misfortunes, but great minds rise above them. Washington Irving I have here three teams that I want to get over to Staten Island, said a boy of twelve one day in 1806 to the innkeeper at South Amboy, New Jersey. If you will put us across, I'll leave with you one of my horses in pawn and if i don't send you back six dollars within forty-eight hours you may keep the horse the innkeeper asked the reason for this novel proposition and learned that the lad's father had contracted to get the cargo of a vessel stranded near sandy hook and take it to new york in lighters the boy had been sent with three wagons six horses and three men to carry the cargo across a sand spit to the lighters the work accomplished, he had started with only six dollars to travel a long distance home over the Jersey sands, and reached South Amboy penniless. I'll do it, said the innkeeper, as he looked into the bright, honest eyes of the boy. The horse was soon redeemed. My son, said this same boy's mother, on the first of May, 1810, when he asked her to lend him one hundred dollars to buy a boat, having imbibed a strong liking for the sea. On the twenty-seventh of this month you will be sixteen years old. If by that time you will plough, harrow, and plant with corn the eight-acre lot, I will advance you the money. The field was rough and stony, but the work was done in time, and well done. From this small beginning, Cornelius Vanderbilt laid the foundation of a colossal fortune. In 1818, Vanderbilt owned two or three of the finest coasting schooners in New York Harbor, and had a capital of $9,000. Seeing that steam vessels would soon win supremacy over those carrying sails only, he gave up his fine business to become the captain of a steamboat at one thousand dollars a year for twelve years he ran between new york city and new brunswick new jersey in eighteen twenty nine he began business as a steamboat owner in the face of opposition so bitter that he lost his last dollar but the tide turned and he prospered so rapidly that he at length owned over a hundred steamboats he early identified himself with the growing railroad interests of the country, and became the richest man of his day in America. Barnum began the race of business life barefoot, for at the age of fifteen he was obliged to buy on credit the shoes he wore at his father's funeral. He was a remarkable example of success under difficulties. There was no keeping him down no opposition daunted him eloquence must have been born with you said a friend to j p curran 
"'Indeed, my dear sir, it was not,' replied the orator. "'It was born some three-and-twenty years and some months after me.' Speaking of his first attempt at a debating club, he said, "'I stood up, trembling through every fibre, but remembering that in this I was but imitating Tully, I took courage, and had actually proceeded almost as far as Mr. Chairman, when, to my astonishment and terror, I perceived that every eye was turned on me. There were only six or seven present, and the room could not have contained as many more. Yet was it, to my panic-stricken imagination, as if I were the central object in nature, and assembled millions were gazing upon me in breathless expectation. I became dismayed and dumb. My friends cried, Hear him! But there was nothing to hear. He was nicknamed Orator Mum, and well did he deserve the title, until he ventured to stare in astonishment at a speaker who was culminating chronology by the most preposterous anachronisms. I doubt not, said the annoyed speaker, that Orator Mum possesses wonderful talents for eloquence, but I would remind him to show it in future by some more popular method than his silence. Stung by the taunt, Curran rose and gave the man a piece of his mind, speaking fluently in his anger. Encouraged by this success, he took great pains to become a good speaker. He corrected his habit of stuttering by reading favorite passages aloud every day, slowly and distinctly, and spoke at every opportunity. Bonyan wrote his Pilgrim's Progress on the untwisted papers which were used to cork the bottles of milk brought for his meals. Gifford wrote his first copy of a mathematical work when a cobbler's apprentice on small scraps of leather and Rittenhouse, the astronomer, first calculated eclipses on his plough handle. David Livingstone, at ten years of age, was put into a cotton factory near Glasgow. Out of his first week's wages, he bought a Latin grammar and studied in the night schools for years. He would sit up and study till midnight, unless his mother drove him to bed. Notwithstanding, he had to be at the factory at six in the morning. He mastered Virgil and Horace in this way, and read extensively, besides studying botany. So eager for knowledge was he, that he would place his book before him on the spinning jenny, and amid the deafening roar of machinery would pore over its pages. All the performances of human art at which we look with praise and wonder, says Johnson, are instances of the resistless force of perseverance. It is by this that the quarry becomes a pyramid, and that distant countries are united with canals. If a man was to compare the effect of a single stroke of the pickaxe, or of one impression of the spade, with the general design and last result, he would be overwhelmed by the sense of their disproportion. Yet those petty operations, incessantly continued, in time 
surmount the greatest difficulties, and mountains are leveled and oceans bounded by the slender force of human beings. Great men never wait for opportunities. They make them. Nor do they wait for facilities or favoring circumstances. They seize upon whatever is at hand, work out their problem, and master the situation. A young man, determined and willing, will find a way or make one. A Franklin does not require elaborate apparatus. He can bring electricity from the clouds with a common kite. Great men have found no royal road to their triumph. It is always the old route by way of industry and perseverance. The farmer boy, Elihu B. Washburn, taught school at $10 per month and early learned the lesson that it takes 100 cents to make a dollar. In after years he fought steals in Congress until he was called the watchdog of the treasury. When Elias Howe, harassed by want and woe, was in London completing his first sewing machine, he had frequently to borrow money to live on. He bought beans and cooked them himself. He also borrowed money to send his wife back to America. He sold his first machine for five pounds, although it was worth fifty, and then he pawned his letters patent to pay his expenses home. The boy Arkwright begins barbering in a cellar, but dies worth a million and a half. The world treats his novelties just as it treats everybody's novelties made infinite objection, mustered all the impediments, but he snapped his fingers at their objections and lived to become honored and wealthy. There is scarcely a great truth or doctrine that has had to fight its way to public recognition in the face of detraction, calumny, and persecution. Nearly every great discovery or invention that has blessed mankind has had to fight its way to recognition, even against the opposition of the most progressive men. William H. Prescott was a remarkable example of what a boy with no chance can do. While at college, he lost one eye by a hard piece of bread thrown during a biscuit battle, and the other eye became almost useless. But the boy would not lead a useless life. He set his heart upon being a historian, and turned all his energies in that direction. By the aid of others' eyes, he spent ten years studying before he even decided upon a particular theme for his first book. Then he spent ten years more, poring over old archives and manuscripts, before he published his Ferdinand and Isabella. What a lesson is his life for young men! What a rebuke to those who have thrown away their opportunities and wasted their lives! Galileo with an opera glass, said Emerson, discovered a more splendid series of celestial phenomena than anyone since with the great telescopes. Columbus found the new world in an undecked boat. Surroundings which men call unfavorable, 
cannot prevent the unfolding of your powers. From among the rock-ribbed hills of New Hampshire sprang the greatest of American orators and statesmen, Daniel Webster. From the crowded ranks of toil and homes to which luxury is a stranger have often come the leaders and benefactors of our race. Where shall we find an illustration more impressive than in Abraham Lincoln, whose life, career, and death might be chanted by a Greek chorus as at once the prelude and the epilogue of the most imperial theme of modern times? Born as lowly as the Son of God, in a hovel, of what real parentage we know not, reared in penury, squalor, with no gleam of light, nor fair surrounding, a young manhood vexed by weird dreams and visions, with scarcely a natural grace, singularly awkward, ungainly, even among the uncouth about him. It was reserved for this remarkable character, late in life, to be snatched from obscurity, raised to supreme command at a supreme moment, and entrusted with the destiny of a nation. The great leaders of his party were made to stand aside, the most experienced and accomplished men of the day, men like Seward and Chase and Sumner, statesmen famous and trained were sent to the rear while this strange figure was brought by unseen hands to the front and given the reins of power. There is no open door to the temple of success. Everyone who enters makes his own door, which closes behind him to all others, not even permitting his own children to pass. Not in the brilliant salon, not in the tapestried library, not in ease and competence is genius born and nurtured, but often in adversity and destitution amidst the harassing cares of a straitened household in bare and fireless garrets, amid scenes unpropitious, repulsive, wretched, have men labored, studied, and trained themselves until they have at last emanated from the gloom of that obscurity, the shining lights of their times have become the companions of kings, the guides and teachers of their kind, and exercised an influence upon the thought of the world amounting to a species of intellectual legislation. What does he know, said a sage, who has not suffered? Schiller produced his greatest tragedies in the midst of physical suffering, almost amounting to torture. Handel was never greater than when, warned by palsy of the approach of death, and struggling with distress and suffering, he sat down to compose the great works which have made his name immortal in music. Mozart composed his great operas, and last of all his requiem when oppressed by debt and struggling with a fatal disease. Beethoven produced his greatest works amidst gloomy sorrow, when oppressed by almost total deafness. Perhaps no one ever battled harder 
to overcome obstacles which would have disheartened most men than demosthenes he had such a weak voice and such an impediment in his speech and was so short of breath that he could scarcely get through a single sentence without stopping to rest all his first attempts were nearly drowned by the hisses jeers and scoffs of his audiences his first effort that met with success was against his guardian who had defrauded him and whom he compelled to refund a part of his fortune he was so discouraged by his defeats that he determined to give up forever all attempts at oratory one of his auditors however believed the young man had something in him and encouraged him to persevere he accordingly appeared again in public but was hissed down as before as he withdrew hanging his head in great confusion a noted actor satyrus encouraged him still further to try to overcome his impediment he stammered so much that he could not pronounce some of the letters at all and his breath would give out before he could get through a sentence finally he determined to be an orator at any cost he went to the seashore and practised amid the roar of the breakers with small pebbles in his mouth in order to overcome his stammering and at the same time accustom himself to the hisses and tumults of his audience he overcame his short breath by practising while running up steep and difficult places on the shore his awkward gestures were also corrected by long and determined drill before a mirror columbus was dismissed as a fool from court after court but he pushed his suit against an incredulous and ridiculing world rebuffed by kings scorned by queens he did not swerve a hair's breadth from the overmastering purpose which dominated his soul the words new world were graven upon his heart and reputation ease pleasure position life itself if need be must be sacrificed threats ridicule ostracism storms leaky vessels mutiny of sailors could not shake his mighty purpose you cannot keep a determined man from success place stumbling blocks in his way and he takes them for stepping stones and on them will climb to greatness take away his money and he makes spurs of his poverty to urge him on cripple him and he writes the waverly novels all that is great and noble and true in the history of the world is the result of infinite painstaking perpetual plodding of common everyday industry roger bacon one of the profoundest thinkers the world has produced was terribly persecuted for his studies in natural philosophy yet he persevered and won success he was accused of dealing in magic his books were burned in public and he was kept in prison for ten years even our own revered washington was mobbed in the streets because he would not pander to the clamor of the people and reject the treaty 
which Mr. J. had arranged with Great Britain. But he remained firm, and the people adopted his opinion. The Duke of Wellington was mobbed in the streets of London, and his windows were broken, while his wife lay dead in the house. But the Iron Duke never faltered in his course, or swerved a hair's breadth from his purpose. William Phillips, when a young man, heard some sailors on the street in Boston talking about a Spanish ship wrecked off the Bahama Islands, which was supposed to have money on board. Young Phillips determined to find it. He set out at once, and after many hardships, discovered the lost treasure. He then heard of another ship, which had been wrecked off Port de la Plata many years before. He set sail for England and importuned Charles II for aid. To his delight, the king fitted up the ship, Rose Algier, for him. He searched and searched for a long time, in vain, and at length had to return to England to repair his vessel. James, too, was then on the throne, and Phillips had to wait for four years before he could raise money to return. His crew mutinied and threatened to throw him overboard, but he turned the ship's guns on them. One day an Indian diver went down for a curious sea plant and saw several cannons lying on the bottom. They proved to belong to the wreck. He had nothing but dim traditions to guide him, but he returned to England with one million five hundred thousand dollars a constant struggle a ceaseless battle to win success in spite of every barrier is the price of all great achievements the man who has not fought his way up to his own loaf and does not bear the scar of desperate conflict does not know the highest meaning of success the money acquired by those who have thus struggled upward to success is not their only or indeed their chief reward. When, after years of toil, of opposition, of ridicule, of repeated failure, Cyrus W. Field placed his hand upon the telegraph instrument, ticking a message under the sea, Think you that the electric thrill passed no further than the tips of his fingers? When Thomas A. Edison demonstrated that the electric light had at last been developed into a commercial success, do you suppose those bright rays failed to illuminate the inmost recesses of his soul? End of chapter 26 Success Under Difficulties Recording by Luke Sartor, Brisbane, Queensland